we as a family used to go um, for uh, to spend like a week in the summer it was the best one of the best resorts in in Egypt uh, of course now it's not that good but uh, then it was so 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 crowded and um, imagine getting lost <laughs> in a beach that crowded well what happened was my my, my father, who was sitting right there, got me a kite and um, asked me to stand uh, where I am and, and, and he helped me fly the kite and it flew and I think he got uh, distracted with my uh, a brother or something and I was insensible enough to wander away and to walk just a little bit, just a short distance, but as you can see in this crowdness, it is impossible to find your way back. I had just a little bit of sensibility to stand and stay where I am until my father came to, uh, to, to find me. And I remember really well the look on his face, relieved to find me. And I also remember how I felt I felt really lost, really helpless, but I felt relieved to be found. Well, I have another question. Have you ever seen a police pursuit? Have you ever seen a police car um, trying to, uh, to, to chasing a thief or something, chasing another speeding car or something like that? It happens a lot in, in, in England. My son and I, when we are, when we as, as a family are um, um, walking around in, in, in Cambridge, uh, my son and I get very, very excited when we see police cars going very fast, traffic, because we don't see this in Egypt. I don't know if you've seen traffic in Egypt. Uh, we rarely uh, see police pursuits in Egypt, and, and, and you can know why. It's easy, very easy to run away as a, as, a, as a thief, but for us, especially me and my son, Iman and Noor would stand there, roll their eyes, and wonder what crazy uh, boys uh, love to see uh, uh, police cars run, chasing uh, uh, criminals, but this is something we don't have in, in Egypt so much. So being lost, being pursued, are things that the reading, the scripture reading today are talking about. It's uh, very interesting, the whole chapter, not just the seven verses uh, Rachel read very gracefully, but the whole chapter, the whole 32 uh, verses are one unit. They are Christ's response, Jesus' response to the Pharisees, or some call them the holiness police. Um, uh, Christ's response to them, they, they were uh, unhappy, they were uh, really annoyed that Jesus is so ready to associate himself with sinners, with outcasts, with people whom they the Pharisees would consider uh, outcasts, they're not clean enough, they're not holy enough for us to mingle with. So this is Jesus' response to them. Three parables about three different things that got lost. 
he told them these three parables. The first one, a sheep who lost, uh, a, a shepherd who lost a sheep. The second one, a woman who lost a coin. And the third one, a father who lost a son. The three, parallels, the three parables have a recurrent theme. Lost, found, and a big party, and a big celebration. The shepherd lost the sheep. He pursued it. He, 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 he left the 99 somewhere, and he went, and he searched for the sheep, and he found it. And he came back, and he was very happy. The woman who lost the coin out of the ten coins found it, and she was very happy. She threw a party. So did the father of the prodigal son. He threw a, a mighty party to celebrate his son's return. I don't know if you've noticed, but when you look at the three parables, not just that these three themes are repeated, lost, found, and joy. But if you look closely, you'll find that the, the loss increases in each of these parables. There is an escalation of loss. The first person loses one sheep out of 100. The second loses a coin out of ten, but the third loses one son out of, out of two. So the cost is getting greater and greater every time, and this is something Jesus is trying to convey to the Pharisees, that there is a cost here. There is a reason why I'm associating myself with these sinners because there's a cost, there's something paid for them. There's time paid, there's activity paid, there is, of course, when we read further, bloodshed and body broken for these sinners. But Jesus has something to say to us through each of these parallels. What happens, do you think, when a sheep loses sight of the shepherd. Well, they wander around and move further away, and then um, at some point they recognize that they cannot see the shepherd, the rest of the herd is not in sight. What, they, what, did, what do they start doing? They start bleating and bleating, and um, the more they cry, the more they bleat, the more they are inviting predators to come. They think they are crying out for help. They think that this is a smart way of attracting the shepherd, but on the contrary, what they are doing really is calling for wolves, maybe lions, please come eat me, I'm here, I'm lonely. I have no one around me. I am a good meal to be eaten. Sometimes, um, like sheep, we wander away from our shepherd, 
from Jesus Christ. Sometimes we wonder, just as we were uh, singing now, our hearts are always prone to wander away from the gracious heart of our Lord. And sometimes we think that by doing specific activities, maybe like uh, getting involved in drugs or uh, relationships, that we are helping ourselves or that we are filling the void within us. But what we are really doing is just like this pleating, pleating sheep. We are asking for the enemy to come and devour us. We are harming ourselves. For the lost coin, notice that the, the primary cause of the change of status from being lost to being found is not found in the coin itself. The coin is sitting there somewhere. It's misplaced somewhere. It does nothing. For the sheep, it does things against itself. It harms itself by, by bleeding. For the coin, it's completely passive. It's sitting there. It has no power in itself to help itself, to use the, the language of the prayer book. It has no power in itself to help itself. It cannot cry out, I'm here. It cannot cry out, look at me, I am here. All it does is sit there. The whole burden of pursuing this coin lies on the woman, lies on the one who is searching for the coin. So the woman sweeps, she searches very well, and she finds the coin. That's the only reason that this coin can someday say, I was lost, but now I am I'm found. For the lost son, we see one more layer in the story that we don't see in the lost sheep nor in the lost coin. We see that the prodigal son is not just passively lost, he is actively walking away from his father. He is actively disobeying his father. He is act actively running away from his father's love, from his father's grace, from his father's opened arms. Not just that he does not have the power to help himself, to reverse his status as lost. He is actively working against the Father's will for reunion with him once again. Some might say, uh, some might, 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 might point at his uh, words to his father when he returned, uh, Father, accept me as one of your workers. Well, is that really a repentance? It sounds more like a deal, like a business deal. Would he have 
ever return to his father if uh, he still had room to stay and uh, money to spend and food to eat? I don't think so. The narrative does not tell us that. So what the prodigal son was going back to do was to just negotiate. I will do some work and you give me some food and a place to sleep. And that's all I want from you. And that's, that does not at all sound like a conversation that a son and a father would have. It sounds like a conversation a slave would have with his master, but not a child to his father. It is very hard to look, to search, to pursue, to chase a moving target. It's easier to look for a misplaced item, like a lost coin. But it's very hard to try to chase someone who is not just wandering around because of their bad thinking uh, and bad logic, but to try to pursue someone, to try to chase someone, to try to find someone who is actively running away from you. And I think this is what, some, what, what we do sometimes as humans. We run away from our Father. We run away from His grace. For some reason, we think, we, 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 um, we think that this loving hand is a hand of a cruel master, someone who will demand us to do things, someone that who, who would snatch joy out of our lives, someone who will take our freedom away. And for some reason, we, we run away. We see his um, uh, running after us. We see him pursuing us, and we think that he's a, he's a bad person. He's not a kind God. He's not a kind father, but a cruel one. Well, how does this end? Well, as, as people who run away, we get injured, we fall, we injure ourselves by <clears throat> bleating like sheep, we invite people and other things to harm us, we are wounded. But the good news is, God is relentless. He's a relentless Father. He searches for us. He never stops searching for us. He doesn't take no for an answer. He doesn't take our word no. He doesn't take our refusal of him as the final word. John 1 says that the word became flesh in God's pursuit of us, humanity that is running away from him. The word became flesh and he tabernacled 
among us. He was so determined to find us that he took flesh and he felt what we feel. He went through the pain which we go through just so that he can find us, just so that our status is changed from lost to found. There's a lovely um, there's a lovely verse in Psalm 23, which I think sometimes we take lightly. David says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely your goodness and love will follow me. Well, the expression follow me does not really translate well the Hebrew original. The Hebrew original is more like chase me. It's as if David is trying to say God is on my tail. God is chasing me. There is nothing I could do. There is nowhere I can hide. There is no enemy I can be whom I could be in his hand that God cannot reach. There is nothing that could stop God from reaching out to us and ministering to our hearts. Well, some might say, well, I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus. I accepted uh, Jesus as a Lord and Savior. Uh, I am found. I am not lost. So this is a good, uh, these are good parables, but maybe these are for my neighbor, uh, not for me. One of my friends uses this expression. There are always unevangelized continents in the human heart. There are always parts of our life which we hide from God, which we, which we are um, satisfied to be labeled lost. There are some parts in our hearts which have not been cultivated by the gospel yet. There are some parts of our lives and our hearts that need to be found again. Martin Luther says that the old Adam should drown in our baptism, but the problem is that he's a mighty good swimmer. The old Adam in us, the lost in us, is still pursued by God. And we are now in church it's a very bad place to hide from God because this is where God is. This is where God's hand is. This is where God's voice is. This is where God's word is. And above all, this is where his spirit is. And I am sure that whatever we have 
hidden from God. Or as a whole, if we are hiding from God, He is here to find us. And He is here for a big celebration, big joy. The armies which we think is pursuing us. Um, I, uh, I, I'm a bit hesitant to, to, to give an illustration, illustration with a movie because uh, last Sunday, I think, someone was preaching here and he referenced the movie Barbie. And the last week, I cannot tell you how many people I saw walking out of the cinema, the movie, coming out of the movie Barbie. Um, so, <clears throat> but however, there is a movie called The End of the Affair. It's a horrible movie, please don't watch it. But it's, <clears throat> especially not with your kids, uh, but it's uh, about an atheist who is trying to fight with God. And he is trying to um, find all excuses not to believe in God. And uh, a lot of things happen, circumstances happen, and at the end he writes this, I hate you, God, because you made it impossible for me to not to believe in you. We as your humans hate to be defeated. We always like winning. And it's good sometimes. It's good to um, win against corona. It's good to win in a war. It's good to win against uh, uh, diseases and, and all that. But there's nothing sweeter than being defeated to the kind and gracious God where we find ourselves not prisoners of war, but co-workers with him, accompanying him in a feast. And we might look at ourselves and see all the bruises from our running away, but we look at him and see him bruised as well for our sake. See him, see his bloodshed and his body broken in the road he took to rescue us and to bring us back to the flock. Let's pause for a minute.